Thank you, Pat. Told Pat at the eight o'clock that um, well, it's the season of generosity, so we'll be hearing from some people uh, in our congregation for the next couple of weeks. Uh, just short testimonials before service, and I told Pat that him being the first one to go was like him making that leap of faith from one phone pole to the other. So I know where your nephew gets it from. In the name of God, Creator, Redeemer, and Giver of life, Amen. I want to, for a few moments, call your attention back to uh, the parable that we read in our gospel passage this morning. It's an unusual story. In fact, I heard some laughter uh, while it was being read. It's unusual for uh, a lot of reasons, not necessarily the content uh, of it. And to be fair, it is an unusual passage in line with a lot of other unusual stories. This uh, particular parable only uh, appears in the Gospel of Luke, as do many of the other parables and stories that we have read over the last couple of weeks. I want to rewind back for about six weeks because I want you to see the unique perspective that the author of the Gospel of Luke is trying to present to us. About six weeks ago, uh, we read the surprising words of Jesus, who told his disciples if they were not willing to sell all of their possessions to give them away, then they could not be his disciples. The following week, we read the story of the, the, uh, the shepherd leaving behind 99 sheep to go in search of the one, which would have, for many people, thought, this is... Of course, we would just let that one go. We still have 99. This is an absurd idea. And yet Jesus talks about God as the one that goes after the one. And Jesus accompanies that story with a woman who loses a coin in her house. And she literally tears the whole place apart, cleaning and reaching into every nook and cranny until she is able to find it. And then she not only rejoices privately, but she invites the whole neighborhood over to celebrate with her. About three weeks ago, we read the story of the unjust steward, another one of those passages that causes us to scratch our head and to wonder, it seems as though Jesus is telling us that we should ask or that we should act shrewdly or unjustly in order to get ahead. It's one of those passages that makes us wonder, what exactly is Jesus telling us to do? And this passage begins the stories that only appear in the Gospel of Luke. The next week, we read The Rich Man and Lazarus, another story that gives us a different perspective on what wealth truly is. And then last week, the story of the ten lepers, with only one returning to thank Jesus for healing him, and this one leper being a Samaritan. You see, Luke has a particular perspective. This author who is not Luke, but anonymously has written the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And between these two books, it makes up about 27% of the New Testament. And so this perspective is one that we get a lot of, and we should pay attention to it. Luke shares similar material as the other synoptic Gospels, and yet Luke has his own way of telling the story and the things that he pays attention to. He is writing mostly to a Greek-speaking, non-Jewish audience. Luke is more grounded, whereas Matthew talks about things in more spiritual terms and connecting them to the Hebrew Bible. Luke, or the author of Luke, is more brass tacks, more practical, more concerned with the social order of the world. And so we find ourselves reading this particular passage this morning. 
And all throughout this week, I found myself gathered together with other people of faith, and I kept hearing similar things. In fact, I was with a clergy group this week, and many of them even said, I don't, I don't remember this passage. This is not one that immediately comes to mind. It would have been interesting if we didn't read the gospel passage this morning. If I just came up and instead I said, let's all uh, come up with all of the different parables that we know, and we made a list. I would be willing to bet money that this parable would not have been mentioned. It's not one of the highlights. It's not one of the top ten parables. It's kind of a deep cut. And so, what is this story about? Who is it about? And who is it for? I looked at a lot of translations this week, and it's interesting that maybe 15 or 20 years ago, the older the translation was, the more likely it was to call this story the story or the parable of the unjust judge. Now, I have some suspicions why they would have named it that at that time, but in more recent translations, what we'll find is that there has been a shift away from calling it the parable of the unjust judge and instead calling it the parable of the persistent widow. And now, most recently, the most recent version of the NRSV changes it to the all-encompassing, the parable of the unjust judge and the persistent widow. Whenever we don't understand a story, it's helpful to kind of gather together all of the different characters that are there. Jesus is telling a story with a purpose. He is not, uh, he is not telling us something that has actually happened. He is creating a story that you and I and the original audience can connect to. And so each story, each character in this story has a purpose for being mentioned. So let's look at this brief story. The first character is the unjust judge. It's not unfair to call him that. It literally says it in the parable. And this judge does not fear God and does not respect people. We don't know a lot else about this judge, but the people who would have originally heard this story, and likely you today, can imagine someone in your mind to fill this role. The people would have thought about someone in their life that had power, privilege, position, and did not always do the right thing, and they would have been able to put a face on this character. The second character that we are introduced to is the persistent widow. She's not called that, but she persists, and so we call her that. And what's interesting is we don't know the injustice that she has experienced. We don't know the problem that she is coming to. We only know that day after day she continues to come to this judge and to say, grant me justice with my oppressor, with the one who has done this injustice to me. And we know that at some point, the judge finally gives in, not because he fears God, not because he respects people, not because he sees the merit of her argument, not because the details have proven to be true, but simply because he is tired of hearing her day after day. The fourth character, or I'm sorry, the third character that is presented in this parable is God. And Jesus draws a stark comparison between the unjust judge and God. God, unlike the unjust judge, is quick to answer the cries of his people. God does not delay in bringing justice. 
And there has been some readings of this passage in the past that lead us to believe that the unjust judge in some way represents God. It's a strange reading of this passage. And what it does is it creates for us this idea that if we, like the persistent widow, just won't give up, that God will finally answer our prayers. It creates this weird theology that turns God into a cosmic vending machine. That if we just ask the magic number of times, God will finally relent because we ask that number or because God is tired of hearing from us. And yet this is not the picture of God that we see in the rest of Scripture. In fact, I think this is a pretty harmful view of God. The fourth character that Jesus brings up in this passage is himself. And yet he talks about himself in the third person. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And for me, this question becomes a lens or a key by which we can understand the rest of the passage. I found myself this week asking myself, what does faith look like? In a lot of different contexts, in a lot of different situations, in a lot of different communities, I have seen faith lived out in many different ways. And yet I think Jesus is calling us to think about faith in a very specific way this morning. The people hearing the story for the first time likely knew what it was like to have a relationship with someone with power, privilege, position, or influence who would not hear them who had power over their life but would not intervene. And yet this parable draws a stark contrast between those kind of leaders, those unjust judges in our life, and the God who cares for us deeply, loves us, is intimately concerned with the inner workings of our life, and desires justice for us. And so this story invites us to see a new relationship with God, One that is not like a monarch, a king, or a queen. Not one that is like a judge, or a religious leader, or someone else who only gives us a slow drip of justice enough to get our vote whenever election season rolls around again, but instead wants to give us goodness and justice and truth all of the time, quickly and without delay. But what is this passage calling us to do then? It is inviting us into this new relationship with God, a new understanding of who God is and how God cares for us. But what is it calling us to do? As I read this passage, the person that I have the most trouble connecting with is the persistent widow. I think about my own life and the privilege that I have been born into. I've never had to wonder where my next meal is coming from. As a 21st century American, I live in one of the most powerful countries, one of the most richest countries that has ever existed. In fact, if you have a bank account this morning with any money in it at all, you exist in the top 50% of people who are living in the world today as far as wealth goes. In fact, I would be so bold to say that you likely live in the top 25 to 30% of the world. If only you have a few dollars in a bank account. And so you and I might not understand it. Some of us might. Some of us might have been in situations where we have been voiceless, where we have been marginalized, where we have not had power 
to grant ourselves justice and we were dependent upon someone else with power, prestige, or influence to do that for us like this widow. But I found that for me there was a disconnect. In fact, if you have ever looked at the injustice of the world, but then you resigned yourself to say, well, I'm tired. That's someone else's problem. It doesn't affect my own life. Well, then you just might have been blinded by privilege and not even realize it. So then what is this passage calling us to do? To be like this widow. To be a people of generous persistence. It would be easy for me in this season of generosity to tell you this. If you want to give to the church, just give what you gave last year plus 9.25%. Right? Let's keep up with the cost of living and inflation is high, so let's just do that. It'd be easy for me just to stand in front of you and to say that. And you know what? The church has a budget and we need to fill it and that's fine. But that's not why you're here this morning. You didn't join this church. You didn't participate in this church in order to fund a budget. My prayer is is that you joined this church because you wanted to be transformed as a person and shaped in the image of God and look at the world as God looks at it. And it just might be true, it just might be true that you don't need justice for yourself, but I know that you're not blind because I'm not blind. And I can look at the world and I can see the injustice around me. And I believe that what God is calling us to give today is generous persistence in the pursuit of justice. And there's so many different kinds. There's so many different causes. There's so many different people and places and things that need us to rise up and to care about it. And to not just say, well, that's how the world would be ideally. Yes, that's what the scriptures say about the kingdom of God, but that's not reality. My friends, the only reason it is not reality is because you and I have not acted. And so, during the season of generosity, I invite you to think about more than what's in your wallet. More than about the time you volunteer at church. More than about the talent that you have to give to make a service like this happen, or to clean up, or to uh, do altar guild, or whatever else. All those things are good, but that is the base level. That is, that is the basic thing of what you give in a community. But beyond that, I pray that we are a people of generous persistence. Day after day, seeking justice not only for ourselves, but for our neighbor and for the entire world. Amen.